0: Let's pray. Our Father, we, we turn again to you with thanksgiving for the word that you give to us. We thank you for the warnings of Scripture which we are so much in, in need of uh, for our, our tendencies are so often to to turn away from your will and what you reveal to us in your word. and And, and also as a result of of the struggle that we have with the flesh. But we thank you for the encouragements. We thank you also for those passages that, that stir us up to help us to realize not only our shortcomings and our sin and our failures, and, and but also, Lord, the, the work and the power of your Holy Spirit in us and the work that you are doing. And so please, Lord, we pray this morning that you would you would speak to us through your word um, God, that you would help us to have ears to hear. Uh, we thank you, Lord, and pray this in your name. Amen. In many ways, as uh, we've been in the book of Hebrews, and we see that it is actually a sermon that's it's written to a group of, of Jewish believers, we see that it really is a sermon to encourage and to exhort struggling Christians. Has anybody in here ever uh, ever struggled in their faith or had difficulties? Yeah, we all have at one point or another. And as we come to our text today, we see that the writer of Hebrews opens with these words in chapter 2, verse 1. Therefore, we must pay much closer attention to what we have heard, lest we drift away from it. You see, he wants to remind these Christians the the doctrine of the gospel is, is what provides what we need for Christian living. Uh, he's, he's been speaking in the opening chapter about the preeminence of Christ. And he says, therefore, in other words, guys, with this in mind about everything we talked about in chapter one, about Christ's preeminence and how great he is and how he not only has created us and he sustains all things, but he has come and he has redeemed us. He sits at the right hand of the Father, you know, Everything is placed under his feet. The angels do his bidding for the good of his church. Everything that belongs to the old way of life, the the prophets, uh, the, the angels, the preeminence of Moses and Aaron, all these things that belong to the old covenant, Christ is preeminent to all these things. He is greater than all these things. But, but the writer of Hebrews isn't just wanting to lay out some great theological treaties. He says, you know, I want you to understand how this works itself out in your life. I want you to understand how this helps you when you're struggling, when you're having difficulty in your, your walk with the Lord. And so he's telling these Hebrew Christians that God saving truth about the preeminence of Christ is meant to transform how they think and how they live their lives. And And because Jesus is so much greater than everyone and everything else, uh, he says we must pay closer attention to the things that we have heard concerning him and so he he shows us, you know in chapter one, just a number of ways that Jesus is greater and supreme, and he's going to continue to do that as we go through this book, because he 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 wants the the readers of this letter to to see Jesus in such a way that they could not imagine turning away from him. Uh, someone who is so majestic and so perfect and, and so powerful, he wants them to see Jesus as their all-sufficient savior. And so that's what he does on one hand. But then on the other hand, at the same time, he holds out to these believers five warning passages throughout this book that we're going to be looking at. And today is the first of those five warnings where he, he says to them, look at your life. Look where you're at. Um, and Jesus did that, did he not, in his ministry? If you, if you remember at the end of Mark chapter 9, you know Jesus gave some really challenging teaching to his hearers. He says, if your hand causes you to sin, do what? Cut it off. If your if your eye causes you to sin, what are you to do? Tear, out. Tear it out, that's right. What if your foot causes you to sin? Cut it off. Which is really radical. Because he's trying to show us, you know, and warn us against the seriousness of, 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 of the sin. So he, he he the writer of Hebrews is saying to them that we need to be serious about this because these are matters of eternal significance. Now Understand, as he writes to these Christians, that he is writing to bible believing Christians. okay Get that in your mind. I think it would so easy for us to think, well, but these are, are Christians that were sort of you know not serious about their faith or or maybe they bought into some kind of liberal theology or or something like that. But but he's writing to people who believe in the inerrancy of Scripture, who believe that everything that that, God, that has been said is God speaking, that Jesus is God's son. As a matter of fact, we even looked at this passage in Sunday school. But Hebrews chapter three, verse one, the writer of Hebrews refers to these brothers as holy brothers. Um, he says in chapter ten, verse thirty nine. He says, but we are not of those who shrink back and are destroyed, but of those who have faith and preserve their souls. And yet, to these people who are professing faith in Jesus Christ, he is writing to them about these warnings and saying, even in chapter 2, verse 3, how shall we escape if we neglect such a great salvation? And so God wants us to see this morning that the gospel must be taken seriously. The gospel must be taken seriously. And it gives us three reasons why we should heed the gospel. One reason why we should see that being so serious. And the first is in chapter 2, verse 1, because of the danger of drifting away from the gospel. Therefore, we must pay much closer attention to what we have heard, lest we drift away from it. Uh, the writer believes that it's possible to drift away from the gospel. Um, the metaphor that he uses here to describe this drifting away uh, is, a, is a nautical term. Okay? Describing a ship that's sailing and this then drifted off course. Or, or a ship that's uh, tied in the harbor or anchored in the harbor but it becomes untied and it's carried away by the current. Uh, In other contexts, the word can mean something that slips your mind or a ring that slips off your finger. Uh, But sort of the key idea here is that this drifting away is something that happens unnoticed. The the changes are so imperceptible. In other words, you can't detect them. They're so small that only later do its consequences become clear. So you can imagine... Why this is so important and so serious for these Hebrew Christians to hear and for us to hear as well. Because this is something that can happen and you can not even know that it's happening. My guess is this morning that there's not many of us who have gathered here who are ready to deny or to reject Jesus outright. You know, we, we may be in danger of drifting away of underestimating Jesus, of not adequately appreciating who he is and what he has done or or taking him for granted, but I think most of us are not here seeking to outright uh, deny him. And and the author of Hebrew is concerned to address just this kind of thing of drifting. He's not so concerned about people who are saying, I don't know that I believe in Jesus. He's talking to people who say, yes, I love the Lord Jesus Christ, yes, I, I know him. And, and brothers and sisters, there are currents out there in this present evil age that are pulling us strongly out from the safe harbor of salvation in Jesus Christ. We, we don't have to actively betray Jesus or renounce our faith. Uh, all we have to do is simply not pay attention. You know, we, we just have to become preoccupied with the sights and the sounds and the bells and the whistles of this world. In, in which we live, and we can easily be drawn out and swept away by the current of of this world. Uh, Rick Phillips, he's a PCA pastor in Greenville, South Carolina. He actually tells a story of a time when uh, he and his family went on vacation, and they went to Hawaii, of all places. And, and he said he and his brother uh, got to go snorkeling in this bay, Uh, And he said it was just breathtaking beauty. He said the coral reef, the multicolored fish, he goes, it was glorious. But he said before they went in, they had a guide who sort of directed them. and, And he said, look, guys, before we go out, I need to tell you something. He said, you cannot go beyond this point. He said, see that right there? You cannot go beyond that. He said, the reason is, is because the current is so strong that it will suck you out to sea. And you'll be gone. And then the guide continued by telling story after story of people who failed to pay attention to his warnings and and had been pulled out by the current only to have their bodies washed up on other islands many, many miles away. Well, Rick Phillips said that the guide's stories were effective deterrent, he said, to say the least. And he goes, and we listened to his warnings and did what he said. But but in, in much the same way, there are opposing currents that are swirling around us that are seeking to uh, draw us away from Christ, to cause us to drift. And we need to listen more carefully to the things that we have heard lest we get sucked out by these currents, lest we drift away from Christ. Um, we are surrounded by thoughts and, and ideas that are simply... Uh, not just wishing to drift you away from Christ, but to drown you. Kids, or young people, I, I don't need to tell you, you go to school, you know, you're around neighborhood kids, you're, you're, you're around others who have different ideologies, and, and they just can't believe some of the ridiculous things you think as, as a Christian. And the things that they talk to you about are way different and they even probably ridicule you and make fun of you because of the things that, that you believe. And you're, you're constantly tempted maybe to, to want to fit in with them and, and to, to not seem so different from them. And so it, it's just easy to, to maybe not uh, to downplay the things you believe. But, you know, that's not true just of kids. That's true of adults. At, at our work, uh, as we're talking to our neighbors, as we're talking to our unsaved family, uh, there's, there's that there's that temptation. You see Satan's goal is not simply to distance us from our savior, but but to drown us. And and later on, I think it's it's really interesting that in the book of Hebrews, chapter 10 or chapter 6 verse 19, it talks about how Jesus is the anchor of the soul. Because the writer of Hebrews understands that temptation for for us to drift. It could be out of carelessness, it could be out of persecution. Uh, Satan will do all he can to just distance us from Jesus, but just a little bit, just a little bit. That's the way that Satan works. He doesn't seek to destroy your faith all at once. He just wants to pull you away just a little bit. And if he can pull you away just a little bit, then it's easier the next time he comes to you to pull you a little bit further and a little bit further. Uh, Do you realize that if, if you don't pay attention to your spiritual condition... It will deteriorate on its own. Uh, Do you realize, given the corrupt nature of this world and and of our hearts, that you naturally can become dull and then deadened spiritually, steadily believing the lies of this age? I mean, that can be true from from all of us. Now, some people may be listening to me, and you may be just frustrated. And you may be saying, now, wait a minute, Pastor Rick. does it the Bible teach eternal security of all true believers in Jesus Christ? I mean, Jesus said, I I give them eternal life and they will never perish and no one will snatch them out of my hand. And I would say, Amen. Amen, brother. Amen, sister. That is so true. But it's equally true that not all who profess faith are true believers and that there are those who do drift away. I mean, Judas Iscariot is a great example. He walked with Jesus for three years. All the other disciples, we get no sense from any of the Gospels that any of the other disciples suspected that he was not a believer. Uh, another case in point uh, that is maybe not as well known is Demas. Okay, uh, He was a co-worker of the Apostle Paul. At the end of the book of Colossians and the book of Philemon, Paul lists Demas as a close companion and worker in the Gospel of Jesus Christ. And then by... 2nd Timothy by the, towards the end of Paul's life Paul sadly writes this he goes for Demas in love with this present world has deserted me and gone to Thessalonica he's walked away from the faith and so here are cases of a, of a disciple of Christ and a co-laborer of the Apostle Paul who abandoned the faith if, if they can fall away are we not in danger of that as well? It is true that we are secure through faith in Jesus Christ. I, I, please, don't, don't hear me say otherwise. But like a good tree, true faith is revealed by its fruit. Therefore, Peter tells us in 2 Peter 1.10, Be all the more diligent to confirm your calling and election, for if you practice these qualities, you will never fall Or Paul's words in in 2 Corinthians 13.5, 2 Corinthians 13.5, examine yourselves, writes Paul, to see whether you are in the faith, test yourselves, or do you not realize this about yourselves, that Jesus Christ is in you, unless indeed you fail to meet the tests. We must persevere and use the resources that God has given us to bear fruit and not to drift away. So, so what is sort of the antidote to this not drifting away? Well, he says in verse 1, we must pay much closer attention to what we have heard. Here again, he's using a nautical metaphor when he says pay much closer attention. It's the idea of holding the course. It's like being on a ship and holding the wheel of that ship to make sure that you stay on course. It is the, also the idea of securing the anchor. So, so how do we keep from drifting away from Christ by anchoring ourselves to Him? Uh, the way we do this is by paying much closer attention to what we have heard. Not, 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 not just being satisfied with the milk of the Word, uh, but desiring the meat. Not, not to simply be satisfied to know that Jesus died for my sin and so I'm going to heaven and, and that's it. But to understand the, the depth of our salvation and, and its realities and how those affect our lives. I, I think sometimes when we think of the gospel, we so focus upon justification of how we are made right with God that we're satisfied with that and we think we're good. But there is so much more to our salvation than that. You know, in our sanctification, our union with Christ, in our adoption. And that's why I love it in Sunday school. I know some of the topics that we look at, you might think, wow, these are, these are pretty uh, heady topics, but, but they're great topics. They help us to see the depth of the salvation that we have in, in Jesus Christ. And the gospel is something that we need to come back to again and again and again, daily and hourly and moment by moment as, as we lived our life. I loved it this morning that Ben, when he taught, he talked on effectual calling. Now, if that's a heady topic, there's, that's a heady topic, okay? But at the end, I appreciated the fact he says, but how does that affect our living? How does that inform the way that we live our lives as Christians? And that's exactly where those things ought to lead. Uh, C.S. Lewis, uh, he he was very insightful when he wrote this. He says, we have to be continually reminded of what we believe. Okay, that's that's true. He says, neither this belief nor any other will automatically remain alive in your mind. It must be fed. That's good for us to remember. You know, sometimes I think we think, you know, do you know the gospel? Yeah, I know the gospel. I know it. But it needs to be fed. It needs to be nurtured. We need to to dwell upon it. We need to think about these things. it's, It's interesting that when Satan comes to tempt, whether it's Jesus or Adam and Eve or whatever, that he will oftentimes come with Scripture. And he will twist and tweak that Scripture just a little bit, just to make it wrong. Okay. And if you don't know the Word of God, if you don't understand the salvation that you have in Jesus Christ, if you've not paid attention to these things, It's very easy to be deceived um, because he is very much the deceiver. And so he goes on to say that that most people, this is C.S. Lewis, he says that most people who turn away from the faith are probably not persuaded by reason to leave the faith, but instead they just sort of drift away. And so spiritual drifting happens on its own without much effort on our part. But to stay on course, that requires diligence. Uh, Interestingly enough, the New Testament describes the Christian faith as a fight. It's, It's a race, it's a field in which a farmer labors. In other words, it requires focus. It requires attention. It uh, it, 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 it takes an exerting of, of energy. And that's why Paul uses words like, I press on, I follow after, I strive, I fight for. Now, don't get me wrong. I'm not saying that this is a work salvation where you've got to do all these things in order to earn God's salvation. But this is part of the salvation that we receive. That that, that, that the life that we live, we live by the power of the Holy Spirit that works in us. But that Spirit doesn't just automatically happen. We look to Him. We pray to Him. We diligently seek Him. We say, Lord, I need You. And that's why Paul will talk about how he's discipling within the church. And in Colossians 1, he says, And I do so with all His might that works within me. In other words, he doesn't do it in his own strength. He doesn't go through all those trials. He doesn't go through all those shipwrecks and beatings. And he doesn't, for uh, undergo all those things on his own strength, he does so, does so by the power of the Holy Spirit that works in him. I, th- I think it's interesting that oftentimes the first public sign of drifting in a Christian is a lack of appetite for corporate worship. It's a lack of interest in being around the Word of God. And and if we if we don't want to spiritually drift, we must pay much closer attention to the gospel and understand it in its nuances and not simply to know it but also to live it uh, in in your lives look if you would Isaiah chapter 50 Isaiah 50 verse 4 Isaiah the prophet says the Lord God has given me the tongue of those who are taught that I may know how to sustain with the word him who's weary. So the Lord had given him that ability uh, to, to speak as one who is taught that he may sustain others by that word. But then he goes on, he says, morning by morning he awakens, he awakens my ear to hear as those who have been taught. And that's that's the posture I'm talking about. That's that's that idea of paying attention that morning by morning we awaken and we hear as those who are being taught through the Word of God by His Holy Spirit to to know who He is. And so we need to be aware of the danger of drifting and understand that none of us are um, beyond this. You know, we could very easily, I think, fall into that trap Like with Rick Phillips, where you could say, "Well, okay, yeah, I know for most swimmers they can't go beyond this point, but I'm a very strong swimmer. I actually I was a captain of the swim team, and so I'm sure I could handle a little current. And we can easily think, you know, it's it's not that big a deal. There's a danger, especially I think as you get older, to think that this could never happen to me. And you know, you might think, "Oh, I have a pretty consistent quiet time every day. I, I read theology books. I, I listen to podcasts, Christian podcasts. I'm pretty good about finding false teaching when I get on Facebook, and 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 I I can sort of help set people right, you know, in their thinking." But the danger is, is that Satan uses that complacency uh, against us, so that we don't see the drift that happens in our life, and and he uses our pride thinking that we're better than we really are, and not realizing that as we're studying God's word and as we're reading all this theology, that it's not really drawing us closer to Jesus Christ, but really what it's doing is, is it's puffing up our egos. It's, it's puffing up our heads. It's making us feel that we're more important than we really are. And so we need to ask ourselves, are we paying much closer attention? Are are we people who are listening? Do we have ears To hear, do we come to God's word, whether that be in public worship, whether that be in our private worship, our family worship? Do we come with an expectation to hear what the Lord has to say to us through His word, and do we have hearts to receive that and an honesty to to confess our sins before the Lord? To do we come to Him? Uh, Understanding that we need the word to to minister to our needy souls. To sustain us and to build us up. And to send us away rejoicing that our hope is in him. So that's the first reason why we need to take the gospel seriously. I'll just set your minds at ease. The other two points are much smaller. okay? But but he continues on and he says we also though, uh, God wants us to see that the gospel... It needs to be taken seriously because there's a greater punishment for rejecting the gospel. Look at verses 2 and 3. For since the message declared by angels proved to be reliable, and every transgression or disobedience received a just retribution, how shall we escape if we neglect such a great salvation? You know, he's referring here to the law of God declared by the angels through Moses to the people. And and he says if the law is given by angels warrants a just retribution for disobedience, how much more does such a great salvation warrant retribution? You see, there there he's sort of going from an argument of the lesser to the greater. You know, the old covenant had to be taken seriously, even though it is subordinate to the New Testament. Now If the disobedience of God's people in the Old Testament resulted in God justly judging them for their sins, which we could think of many examples. I mean, think about Korah and Dathan and uh, uh, um, Abiram who rebelled against Moses and were swallowed up by the earth. You remember that in number 16? Or maybe Aaron's sons, Nadab and Abihu, who were consumed by fire because they used unauthorized fire in Leviticus chapter 10, or or even just take the whole nation of Israel, uh, this one generation of Israelites who did not believe God's word and his promise is that he could bring them into the promised land and he could deliver their enemies to them. And as a result, they were made to wander for 40 years in the wilderness and die. And these are just a couple of examples just from the Exodus. I mean, if we went through the entire Old Testament, we would find example after example after example. And if the disobedience of God's people in the Old Testament resulted in God justly judging them for their sins, then what will happen if you reject the way of salvation that Jesus has provided for you. How much greater of a a travesty is that? So the gospel must be taken seriously because someone greater than Moses is here. As a matter of fact, in verse 3, we read that it was declared at first by the Lord. In other words, this wasn't angels that, media- that gave this message. It, it came from God Himself. And when we sin under the new covenant, we expose ourselves to greater condemnation. I think that oftentimes is lost in our culture today because uh, people just almost take um, Christ's salvation almost flippantly. You know, oh, it's of grace. It's okay. Jesus will oh, forgive me. You know, I could do that. All I got to do is just ask for forgiveness, just put a little stamp on it, and I'm good. And, and, and they come to God in that way. But, you know, we'll talk more about this when we come to the end of chapter 10. But, you know, if you think about Hebrews chapter 10, uh, at the end, we, we read of people who belong visibly to the new covenant church, and they were baptized in faith in, in Jesus Christ. And yet the writer of Hebrews says that they trample the blood of Christ underfoot. They trample the blood of Christ underfoot. Hebrews ten verse twenty nine. And so he said, even to the point that there is no more sacrifice for their sins in Hebrews ten twenty six. And he's talking about people who are professing faith in Jesus Christ. And so it is a serious thing if we do not heed the great salvation that we have. He said, you know, I think think we need to understand that salvation of God under the New Covenant is qualitatively different, but it's not substantially different from salvation under the Old Covenant. There's not like two kinds of ways of getting saved. There's an Old Testament way, and there's a New Testament way. And the reason I say that is because there's only one God. There's only one plan of salvation. He doesn't change His mind. So, what's different is not the salvation itself, but hear me, it's not the salvation itself, but the fullness of the truth that has been unveiled in the Lord Jesus Christ. We see that salvation more clearly, and we understand that it's through Christ. So, if we sin under this new covenant, if we neglect such a great salvation, if we think that Jesus is not enough to save us, and... And, and we neglect that salvation that God has provided in his son, how shall we escape just retribution? There is no salvation. There is no uh, sacrifice for sin that is left for us. And so the gospel must be taken seriously because someone greater than Moses is here. And the writer of the Hebrews is addressing not only the importance of the gospel message, but he's addressing the consequences of the gospel message. And then finally, um, we need to take seriously the gospel because it is true. It's true. Look at verses uh, 3 and 4. We read on, it says, It was attested to us by those who heard, while God also bore witness by signs and wonders and various miracles and by gifts of the Holy Spirit distributed according to his will. What he's saying here is, is that we need to take the gospel seriously because it's true. Uh, it's been confirmed, and God Himself has testified to it. This isn't just something that's some tradition that's been passed down. God has confirmed it through the witness of the apostles. And particularly, He's done so through signs and wonders. Uh, turn, if you would, back with me to Acts chapter 2, verse 22. Acts 2 22. And and Peter is standing up and he's preaching on the day of Pentecost and he's in the the middle of his sermon and and he's talking about uh, Christ. And this is what he said. He says, Men of Israel, hear these words. Jesus of Nazareth, a man attested to you by God with mighty works and wonders and signs that God did through him in your midst as you yourselves know. In other words, he's saying that God Gave those signs and wonders and miracles to be done to show that the message that was proclaimed was true to show that Jesus was the messiah and, and I think we have to understand that miracles didn 't just happen all the time in the Bible you know it 's not like you woke up every morning and thought hey i 'm going to go out and see a miracle today you know that 's not the way that, that God worked as a matter of fact if you if you study uh, the Bible, you'll see that there were actually almost like periods of time where miracles were more prevalent than others. And they were usually tied to the gospel message or to the, the message that God had to his people. So like in the time of Moses was a, a good case in point on which we saw miraculous things to attest to the message of the law that was being given to God's people. Elijah and Elisha in their period of time and in Jesus' ministry as well. And then we see also in the Apostles that it was the same and, and the recipients of the Hebrews had seen God's work amongst them miraculously and these signs were confirmed uh, they confirmed the Apostolic Gospel and so the author of Hebrews is just calling his readers to remember what they've seen now we don't have those miracles today I'm not saying God never does a miracle we pray and God answers our prayers oftentimes in very miraculous ways But that's different than what I'm talking about, about miracles that attest to the Word of God. But we don't need that today because we have the the canon of of Scripture. But, But we do still see miraculous things happen. And I would argue to you that it is a miraculous thing whenever the Lord takes someone who is his enemy who is hostile to him, who can't even hear what God has to say. And the Lord works in his heart in such a way to change him, to make him a child of God and to cause him to love and to grow. And when we see the love of Christ demonstrated in our congregation, when we see acts of faith in Christ in our midst that that are remarkable, these are evidences of the work of the Spirit of God in our midst. And this should cause us to rejoice. And to remind us of the importance of the gospel of Jesus Christ. So we too have seen the authentic gospel in our midst. So brothers and sisters, I just want to encourage you. Let the warnings of Hebrew enter your believing heart. Okay, I'm not here questioning anyone's faith. But I'm saying all of us as believers need to let this teaching enter our hearts. Open your heart to the full force of the warning so that the Spirit of God may press His truth more deeply upon your soul that that we may pay much closer attention to what we've heard lest we drift away from it you know uh, we can drift a lot of different ways I just want to mention two one we can do so ecclesiastically that is in regards to the church you know churches can drift denominations can drift You know, and Paul wrote to the Galatian churches who had just recently professed faith in Jesus Christ and he's like, what's up? I cannot believe this. He was astonished to find that they had quickly deserted the gospel of Jesus Christ. Galatians 1, verse 6. We saw that in the Middle Ages as the the church drifted before God eventually then raised up uh, reformers to reclaim the biblical teachings of the gospel. Today, The church drifts and and even our own denomination is not exempt from this. Uh, We we see churches drift into all kinds of things, whether it be open theism or emergent theology, denying the substitutionary work of Christ, the new perspective on Paul, federal vision, which denies the imputed righteousness of Christ. Many churches are wrestling with sexuality and, and, and you can even see a drift there. In, in terms of understanding what what God has said, and we must pay attention, brothers and sisters, to what we have heard. We must go back to God's word, and and see the things that He has said. Now, from a pastoral perspective, I want to say, so I want to give you a little side note. When we do this, I would I would caution you to be patient. Okay, and I think it's interesting that. As the writer to the Hebrews sees these brothers and sisters drifting or being tempted to do so, he doesn't bring a club and he doesn't beat them over the head. He also doesn't say, you people, you're beyond God's work. I'm done with you. I'm going to part ways and I'm going to go my own way. He goes after them with a pastor's heart to pursue them with the gospel of Jesus Christ in hopes that they would repent. And we need to do the same, especially when it comes to ecclesiastical matters. Our God is a patient God. I'm not saying we endure sin forever, but I think we have to understand that we must continue to uh, fight the good fight until that is just no longer possible. But the second thing I think we need to understand is, is that it could happen to us personally. And, and as I said before, it happens in small steps. It might start with absence from worship. Not that you stop coming to church altogether. Maybe you just come, you know, three weeks out of the month. And then maybe two. And then, you know, then you're there maybe every other week or whatever. It might be undervaluing the church and living in community with other believers. It may be seeing slips in your personal time with the Lord. You just find that that happens left often. Maybe it's things like other priorities become more important than, than Christ. And, and you, you, you hear yourself saying, well, but, but I have to do this, but I have to do that. And those are things that are things that actually are allowing distance between you and Jesus. And, and you might even feel like you're a victim, like there's nothing you could do about it. These kind of things could be just small steps. It could be attitudes of becoming critical of God's people. Um, there's just so many different ways uh, that he does. But, but he brings us today to warn us and say, how shall we escape if we neglect such a great salvation? But as we do so, let us remember that our salvation is great. It is great. And so as we pay attention to that, as we rely upon the Holy Spirit, the work of the Son and the work of the Father in our lives. God holds us fast and there is none that can snatch us from His hands. Amen? Let's bow our heads if we could. Our Father, we thank You so much that You love us so much to, to warn us, uh, to speak to us very honestly and very bluntly. Uh, Lord, I, I thank you so much that your salvation is so great and it, it is so powerful. And I pray that uh, every one of us in this room would come to appreciate it even more. And and I particularly, Lord, want to pray for, for parents as they're seeking to, to teach and to, to train their kids in these matters as well. And for our kids that grow up uh, just hearing uh, the gospel message over and over and over uh, Lord, let them not be satisfied with just the basics of these things. But Lord, I pray that you would open their hearts and stir them to want to know more, to, to know more of Jesus, to know, understand more of what he has done. And, and God, I pray that you would cause us to not only grow as individuals or as families, but as a church body to spur one another on to, to, to love and, and to good deeds as well. Uh, but, Father, I do pray that especially if there be someone that's here today that is drifting, God, that you would pull them back. God, I pray that you would help us to be aware of one another and where we are in proximity to them and where they are in proximity to Jesus. And, Lord, let us be about being a church that goes after people, not just letting people drift. And, Lord, let us have the boldness and the love uh, with one another, that if we see that drift, that we would be willing to say something to that person. Not, not to beat them over the head with a club. Lord, not to, to tell them what a terrible sinner they are and they need to either repent or get out. Uh, or that we're going to separate from them. But Lord, we pray that you would give us the heart of the great shepherd. You know, the Lord is my shepherd, I, I shall not want. And give us such a heart for one another as well, we pray. In your name. Amen.